0: Well, thank you so much for that. I don't know if you guys noticed the joy that they had as they were singing. I think what a blessing to see a family worshiping together. Isn't that amazing? So we're going to be going. Actually, should go back here. We're going to be going to the uh, Gospel of John, uh, chapter two, verses twelve through twenty-two today. But uh, before we start, I'm just going to pray. Okay, if you don't mind, Father, um, Lord, what a blessing it is to be able to. Uh, freely meet without the fear of uh, persecution. Uh, Lord, we pray uh, for our brothers and sisters that are being persecuted at this time. Uh, We lift them up to you. We ask that you would protect them but also that you would uh, turn the hearts of those that would do them harm. Father, Father, Thank you for allowing us to meet together today uh, to worship you through the singing and through the study of your word. Bless our time together now. Amen. So again, turning your Bibles to uh, John chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 22. After this, he went down to Capernaum, he and his mother and his brethren and his disciples And they continued there not many days. And the Jews' Passover was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables and said unto them that sold the doves, Take these things hence, make not my father's house and house of merchandise, And his disciples remembered that it was written, "The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up." Then answered the Jews and said unto him, "What sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days??" But he spake of the temple of his body. When therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them. And they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Some time ago, uh, we stopped at a gas station near my hometown. And the attendant came out and I recognized him and he noticed me. And he came over and he Uh, proceeded to tell me how he was getting married the following weekend. And he asked if I wouldn't mind giving him a haircut before his big day. And, you know, yes, the request was pretty strange. Um, But the guy seemed to have complete uh, confidence in my abilities and the fact that I could pull it off. And, see, some of you don't know this, but I'm the one that gives my kids the haircuts. So I thought, well, he heard through, like, a friend of mine or something that I can cut hair... And I'm thinking, this guy's cheap and he wants to save a couple of bucks before his big day. So I figured, you know what, I'll save him a couple of bucks and I'll help him out. So as I'm pumping the gas into my car, this guy has his arm around me and I'm thinking to myself, I just use clippers. I don't, I hope he's not expecting something fancy with scissors because I don't know anything about scissors. I'm a clippers kind of guy. And, uh, you know, if he's looking for something else, uh, it's not going to happen. So then... I say, uh, so do you want me to come over to your place to do this? He goes, well, actually, I was thinking, you know, maybe I could stop by your shop. So I guess I must have had this strange look on my face because he goes, aren't you such and such the barber? And I'm like, "Uh, no, I'm not that barber, you know? So needless to say, we realized the error and uh, thankfully no hair was harmed before the the big day of his wedding. Um, But you know... He really, really thought he knew me. I mean, I saw it in his face. The guy was looking at me. He knew who I was. So much so that he was willing to let me take clippers to his head before his wedding. You know, the people we just wrote about or read about at the temple here, they had obviously mistaken Jesus for someone else. Let's look at what's going on first. Verse 12. After this, he went down to Capernaum, he and his mother and his brethren and his disciples, and they continued there not many days. And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So after the wedding at Cana, Jesus travels to Capernaum, and then he goes south to Jerusalem, which is about 160 kilometers away. And he does this in order to go and celebrate the Passover, now, if you remember, the Passover itself was instituted about 3,000 years ago, so about 1,000 years before Jesus was here, in Egypt, when God said that he would kill the firstborn of everyone unless they took the blood of a lamb and they struck the doorposts and the lintel of the door, signifying that their faith was in the God of Israel. And they believed him at his word, at what he said that, he would uh, save them from the penalty of death. If they didn't believe him, they wouldn't have done that. But if they did believe him, they applied the blood. And if they did this, death would pass over them. Hence the word Passover. Afterwards, the Passover was celebrated as a remembrance, but it was also celebrated looking forward to the day when the Messiah would come. So it was not only a retelling, but it was a foretelling. Remember how in the Bible, uh, leaven is a picture of sin. Every time you come across leaven in the Bible, it's a picture of the sinfulness of man. So before the Passover festival would begin, they would actually go around the house, removing all the leaven in the house. Uh, And they would do this on the evening before the Passover. So they they would go and discard it. They would put it outside and actually burn it in fire. And since it was evening, they didn't have hydro, they would go out with their little oil lamps looking... Uh, In the dark, they would use an oil lamp looking for leaven. And it's just astounding to me how Jesus is that light. You know, like we need that light to find our way in the darkness, Jesus helps us find our way. And as the lamp exposes leaven that was hidden away in, in the dark, the light of Jesus it'll expose sin. Even sin that we've long forgotten or that we're trying to hide. It's not very well hidden in the eyes of God. Malachi 3.1 says, Behold, I will send my messenger and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. But who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand with when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. So just as a good father would go around the house looking for leaven before the Passover, uh, Jesus is he, coming here to clean his house of that sin. Look again at verse 13. And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. And when He had made a scourge of small cords, He drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables and said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence. Make not My Father's house and house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it was written, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. So here we have the infamous scene where Jesus loses his mind and he goes Indiana Jones style whipping people, everything. But you know what? That's not the Jesus of the Bible. You know, movies like to portray him that way because it looks good on the big screen. But my Lord didn't behave that way. You know, Jesus didn't have a psychotic episode. He was, as we would say, uh, in complete control. You know, it might look good on the screen, but Jesus wasn't behaving like a madman. When he said, when the Bible says that he overthrew tables, it just means he turned them over. It doesn't mean he took them in and threw them at people. And I know this because... His behavior was rooted in a love for God the Father. And he did all things that were pleasing to him. But I can think of other characters in the Bible, you probably can too, you know, where they probably aren't portrayed that well on TV, you know. And this can lead to a lot of misconceptions. Think of, uh, uh, Samson, for example. You know, he's often depicted as this muscle-bound, hulk of a guy. Uh, But I don't think that was the case. Otherwise, Delilah wouldn't say, where do you get your strength, Samson? She would know that it was some superpower that was not from him. She would know that it was something beyond him. Otherwise, she wouldn't fall for the trick of him saying, well, if he takes a certain amount of strings and tie me, then that will take my powers away. See, sometimes we like to take the glory away from God. Samson was... Probably just a regular guy. That's why they were blown away by what he can do. Another one is the Apostle John. He's usually depicted as this little soft spoken weakling because he's always talking about love and how God just loves him so much. You know. But yet Jesus gave John and James the nickname Sons of Thunder. You don't call a little weakling Sons of Thunder, you call him pee-wee. Okay? This was a rough and tumble guy. This is the kind of guy that wouldn't expect God to love him. Then we have Jesus himself. You've seen him on a lot of different movies. Why does he always look like a California surfer? (laughs) You know, sometimes he's blonde hair, blue eyes. From what I remember, Jesus was a Jewish man living in the first century. And up to this point, he was a carpenter. He wasn't surfing. So we have these misconceptions. But we also have another one, the Pharisees. They're easy to point out, though. The Pharisees are usually the ones that never smile, that are always arguing and are always trying to kill people. That's the Pharisees. But in reality, they probably would have been considered pretty nice. Now, These guys gave to the poor. They gave to their local congregation. Uh, In fact, they gave so much, they even measured their spices and their herbs to make sure that they can give at least a tenth of that As an offering. These guys gave above and beyond. So, from an outward appearance, they were fantastic. These are the kinds of people that would be outstanding church members. They would go to church, and they were the kind of people that would blend in with everyone else. And they can sing just as loud, they can serve just as diligently, they can demonstrate good stewardship. They can run their homes very well. They're the kind of people that you would want on the church roster. You know, hey, I want these guys to be members in my church. But the problem is that they don't like the God of the Bible. The God that says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. The God that warns the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. That God, The God that says, The unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. You know, When they read verses like this, uh, they don't want it to apply to themselves because they've already offered something to God. They've offered God a sacrifice. They, they do work for God, so this doesn't apply to them. And besides that, they think that overall they're pretty good. But when they get confronted with the fact that they also deserve to go to hell in spite of the good that they do, they don't like that. Because they think that they're not as bad as other people. In fact, they measure themselves against other people. Tozer said it really well. He said, A Pharisee is hard on others and easy on himself. But a spiritual man is easy on others and hard on himself. So see, when Jesus is addressing them he's pointing out the heart behind the actions he's not looking on the outside he's looking at their heart you remember he pointed them out and he said they were like whited sepulchres whited tombs they were so nice on the outside they are the most beautiful casket you could imagine but inside they were full of dead men's bones their actions were not done out of a love for God it was not done out of a love for uh, their neighbor it was always about themselves Psalm 69 is a messianic psalm. It's the one that uh, verse 17 is referring to. And it speaks of how they actually don't like God. And they don't like uh, God the Son either. Psalm 69, 7-9. Because for thy sake I have borne reproach. Shame hath covered my face. I am become a stranger unto my brethren. And an alien unto my mother's children. For the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. And the reproaches of them that reproached thee are fallen upon me. So apparently we all have a heart problem. In fact, the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? God can know it. I can't even know my own heart. It's that wicked. But you know what? Sometimes our motives are subtle. Even to ourselves. You know, I can be self-deceived by my own motives. Other times, I know exactly what I'm doing. And I'm just hoping that the people around me might not be aware of it. You know, But God knows. God knows everything. Psalm 139 says, O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine up- uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest me, my path, and my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it all Thou hast beset me behind and before, and laid thy hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. So, as much as the money changers and... Uh, the men that sold "quote-unquote" certified animals uh, seem to be offering legitimate services. God knew their motives. You know, have you ever tried to justify uh, your actions by putting a positive spin on something? You know, something so that in order to uh, kind of deflect what the real intent was. You know, uh, Sarah can attest that I'm totally guilty of that. Um, see, we had some chocolates in the house. And Sarah realized that she was having a reaction to them. So I disposed of them the best way that I know how. Uh, Yes, I ate them, yes. Whether it was uh, uh, Lindor, did you ever try those things? They melt in your mouth? Lindor or Ferrero Rocher's, you know what, you name it, I ate it. Uh, Originally, she thought she was just having a reaction to dark chocolate, but came to realize that it was milk chocolate also. So me being the good husband that I am, I stepped up to the plate Uh, the cookie plate, and I ate those as well. (laughs) Uh, You know, I hope the others didn't realize just how self-serving the act was, but I mean, it was apparent. You know, I was wrong. It was very clear. And whether or not it was as obvious as me with the chocolate, uh, those people that were selling the animals and exchanging money, claiming that it had to do with a, a service to the people so that they can come and worship God, and they were crooks, and God saw right through it. And this was a racket. It was, and many, there was many people involved in this racket. And if it were possible, these guys, uh, if we could take them today, they'd probably be charged under the RICO Act. You know, if you're familiar with RICO, in the States it was for the mafia kind of families and stuff like that. They were, it was called Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act. So these guys would have fallen in under the RICO Act. And this is how the racket would work. Uh, People from all over would come to the temple to celebrate the Passover, to worship God and offer animal sacrifices. Uh, These uh, inspectors would uh, look at the animals, make sure that they were without blemish. They would deny the animal, saying it had a blemish. And those inspectors would then, in turn, tell the people they needed, they could actually go and buy a certified inspected animal from one of their authorized uh, resellers. And... uh, which oh, happens to be paying a fee to the people doing the inspections and the temple people. So likewise, they only allowed certain coins into the temple as an offering. So therefore, people that would come with other coins, they would have to kind of transfer their coins. It's like an exchange. But they would charge sometimes as much as 25% exchange for somebody that was trying to go and worship God. Another problem was with these racketeers was the location where they were at. They were actually in the court of the Gentiles. See, the Gentiles were not allowed to go into the actual temple area. It was death by stoning if you went in, in there. If you remember at one time, uh, Paul went in there and they thought that Hebron had brought a Greek person in there, so they were ready to stone him. So he had to say, no, 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 he's not in here. So it was a punishable offense to go in there if you were a Gentile. So they had this outside area where the Gentiles were able to go. But yet these men had turned it into a marketplace now so that the Gentiles couldn't even go there. So these men had taken all of God's gracious provisions and had turned them into some filthy lucre. And God was cleaning house. Look at verse 18. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, What sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? Now, I was thinking about this. Nowadays, people wouldn't be asking for a sign. They'd be saying something like, "Uh, How dare you judge us, Jesus? Don't you know the Bible says, Judge not, lest ye be judged? You can imagine people would be saying that, right? But here they're asking for a sign. And ultimately, their question is not because they were interested in learning the truth. You know, sometimes people will ask you a question and they're just interested. These guys weren't interested in learning the truth. It was about self-preservation. They didn't want to lose faith in, every, in front of everyone else. And they didn't want to lose their financial stream either. And it's amazing what we can justify These guys were trying to justify what they were doing at the temple. But I mean, we need to apply that to ourselves. We can justify just about anything. You know, someone could be working at a company and feel that they aren't being given what they deserve. Start taking a couple things home. Maybe take an extra long break or uh, leave early but don't punch out. These people were asking for a sign. In other words, Jesus, you're telling us what we're doing is wrong, but by what authority are you saying this? I mean, who are you to tell us this? Why are you telling us that what we're doing is wrong? What makes you so special? These religious people had obviously mistaken Jesus for someone else. Maybe not the local barber, but definitely they didn't recognize him as the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So they obviously were not seeking God. See, that's not me casting judgment on them. That's just the evidence of what they're doing. They're not seeking God because they would have found him. In Isaiah 29, verse 13, it says, Wherefore the Lord said, for as much as this people draw near me with their mouth, And with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me. And their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. In other words, it's a fake kind of worship. It's taught by men. It's almost a pagan kind of worship where you fear the God. If he's your father, you shouldn't fear him. And they're driving a fear into the people. They were so focused on this self and on the uh, ritual aspect of it that they were completely failed to realize God in this. They weren't seeking after God. And because people take you know, something that God intended uh, to bring glory to himself, they'll take it and they'll focus on the ritual, but not the Savior. And that is what religion often becomes. A ritual, a self-serving ritual that actually makes you quite distant from God. James addresses this in his letter uh, with the topic of religion. And in fact, he summarizes at the end of chapter 1 with this statement. He says, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. So, case in point, how the Passover celebration is a memorial of how God delivered Israel out of Egypt, but it also points forward to the coming Messiah. So, when the Messiah doesn't come that year, typically in their tradition is, uh, they would hope that the Messiah would come the following year. Because you're always hoping for the Messiah. And they express this, this hope in a, in a closing uh, prayer Uh, during the ceremony, and they would summarize it with something like, uh, Lord, deliver us, or um, Lord, preserve us, or if it's really uh, in a bad state of of affairs in the country, where they're under a lot of persecution, they might say something like, Lord, rescue us. Ironically, these people here, they would have been addressing Jesus by his Hebrew name. And his name means the Lord of salvation. But it, it can also mean, Lord, deliver us. Lord, preserve us. Or Lord, rescue us. So think about it. They're here. They're face to face with the Lord. And yet they don't even recognize Him. I've had people say, and you've probably had this too, where people say, you know what? I don't believe, but if God were to show up, I'd believe. No, they wouldn't. A skeptic will remain a skeptic unless they actually start looking for the truth. And where's the truth? Jesus said, I am the truth. Keep in mind, these were some of the most religious people around. Uh, They read the scriptures, and yet they denied Him to His face. This just goes to show you that religion doesn't get you closer to God. Offering sacrifices doesn't get you closer to God. In Psalm 51, we read, For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifice of God are a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. So the truth is, most people want to go to heaven, they just don't want God to be there. Just like these people. They love the idea of heaven, they like all those things, as long as God isn't there. Verse 19. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and will thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. So here they're bragging about how they've been building this temple, and yet they forget completely to give any glory to God. The very God that is supposed to indwell that temple, they forget to mention. Let's talk about the temple, but let's forget about God. The entire reason for them to build it was that they can be closer to God and God be closer to them. That was the point. It's like they are so close to the building, but yet they're so far away from God. How can you be that close, but yet so far? Think of it this way. When you pray, where's God? Is He somewhere out in outer space? Do you have to come to the church grounds to pray for Him? Uh, Do the uh, angels stand around and relay the message back and forth to Him? Or is He here with you? Whether you're here, or at home, or at work. See, your understanding of that question... And what you do with it can make all the difference in the world. Because the people here at the temple, they felt like he was really far away. They wouldn't be doing what they were doing if they thought God was right there. They thought it was hidden. God was far away. But the fact is that they were face to face with the living God. You know, maybe for some reason you just realize that or clued into the fact that I'm saying Jesus is God. Um, no, He's not just the Son of God. He's actually God. And if you're thinking that I've misread the Bible or that I'm you know, starting to lose my mind, just uh, bear with me. So before you decide that I'm completely uh, right off or a nut bar, <clears throat> notice that Jesus here is making a parallel statement between Himself and the Jerusalem temple. See, just as the temple was a set of walls to house the Shekinah glory of God, the body of Jesus was just a covering of flesh. A covering of flesh that contained God himself. Look again at verse 19. Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Which brings me to my next point. Only God can raise the dead. Ahead, say it. Oh, didn't the prophets raise the dead? Didn't the apostles raise the dead? You know, yes, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> um, Elijah raised somebody from the dead. Elijah. Elisha also did it. In fact, his bones raised somebody from the dead, so I don't know who would get credit there. Um, Peter raised Dorcas. And Paul raised Eutychus. But every one of them, they were used by God. To do the work. See, the power wasn't in them. The power was always in God. So they didn't have the power to raise people from the dead. He could have just as easily used someone else or no one else. But he used them so that people would know that God was with them. The hand of God was on these people. But they all had something else in common. They couldn't raise themselves from the dead. The power wasn't in them to raise themselves from the dead. Jesus, on the other hand, he raised more people than all these people put together. And one thing that he could do that they couldn't, he did it. Look at verse 19 again. Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. That is something only God can do. Because in Him is life. So finally, we're going to look at verse 22. When therefore He was risen from the dead, His disciples remembered that He had said this unto them, and they believed the Scripture and the word which Jesus had said. You know, there are many types of people that were involved through this text here. We have uh, Jesus himself. We have his mother. We have his friends. uh, We have some temple priests, some businessmen. And as different as they all are, they all fall into two categories. You can only sort them into two categories in the end. Those that believe the scripture and the words which Jesus said and those that didn't. Those that repent and put their faith in Jesus and those that don't. Which group would you fall into? The awkward question. Think about it, though. Which group would you fall into? Are you 100% sure? 100% without, not 99% and 1% doubt. I'm talking 100% sure that you're going to heaven when you die. I don't know about you, but if I wasn't sure, I'd want to make sure today. (laughs) Because if you're not sure, you don't want to hesitate. You want to make sure that you know this. The Bible tells us exactly what we need to do if you want to have eternal life. You can have it, and the Bible tells you what you need to do. It says we need to repent and believe. So that means you turn away from your sinful ways, and we stop trying to earn our own way to heaven. We have to stop thinking that we deserve to go to heaven. And we actually have to realize that every time we sin, we've sinned against God himself. And he said the wages of sin is death. You know, when you go to work, you get paid your wage. Well, God said the wages are so, uh, his sin is so grievous that the wage is eternal punishment. And it can't be paid for by apologizing to Him. It can't be paid for by doing good things to make up for it. And no matter what, we can never pay for our own sins because I'm the one that's committed the sin. I'm the cause. Even the blood of goats at the Passover and the temple sacrifices, even the blood of goats couldn't pay for them. They were only a temporary covering until someone could actually take their place. But the problem is, nobody could take our place. Because we've all sinned. I'm just as wicked as the next person. So I can't uh, pay for their sin and that person can't pay for my sin. It can only be paid for by somebody that's never sinned. And so what can I do now? I mean, what what are we going to do if Nobody can pay for my sin. And it has to be a man that pays for my sin? How is that going to happen? How can a man pay for the sin of another man if all have sinned and come short of the glory of God? Well, what if God took upon Himself the form of a man? The man Christ Jesus. I mean, He lived a perfect life. Sinless life. He was perfect in thought, in word, in deed, with everything. I can't even go a day. He went his life. So we broke God's law, but yet the Bible says he's not willing that any should perish. So Jesus came in order to suffer and die on the cross to pay for our sin. So that means he can legally dismiss our case. Our death sentence. It was paid in full by him. Listen to John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Or you can say, for God so loved me that He gave His only begotten Son, that if I believe in Him, I will not perish but have everlasting life. Remember John? He's not the weak little guy. He's a big guy. He's thinking, God loved me. After Jesus was crucified, He rose from the dead and defeated death once and for all. And so what does that mean? Well, that means that it proves that he had the authority over life and death. So what you need to do is turn from your sin and trust in Jesus alone to save you because he has the authority over life and death. Finally, remember how God commanded the Israelites uh, to take that blood of the lamb, strike the doorposts and the lintel, and if they did that, death would pass over them. That was a picture of the cross and what Jesus did for you. Jesus was that perfect, sinless lamb. Jesus, His blood was poured out for our sin, for my sin, for your sin, so that death could pass over us. And because of that, God can grant you the gift of everlasting life. So it's not what I did. It's not because I'm a nice guy, being nice to God. I'm wicked. But God loved me anyway. So think of that. If you've never done that, you really need to think of that today. So I'm just going to close off in prayer. And you guys sing another song? And then the the group will come up and sing another song. Father, we thank you uh, for your word. Thank you for... Uh, loving us. Thank you for your free gift of salvation. Lord, we uh, ask that you help us to apply your word to our hearts and our minds. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.